morning, afternoon, and good night. My name is Nick, and this is the Tennis Podcast. I'm Brandon. <laughs> I, I didn't know if that was where I was supposed to say it or not. I'm Brandon. Hi, I'm here also. Remember that cute little thing from uh, Truman Show? Oh, was that his, that was his, like, uh... His neighborly greeting. Yeah. He'd say, like, good morning, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon and good night, and something else. I butchered it, but, but fuck it. It's my show. Sure, own it. This is the show about top 10-ish lists, hence the name of the show. One of us, either myself, Nick, or the sidekick host, Brandon, one of us brings a top 10-ish list on anything, everything, all things. The other tries to guess without any sort of heads up. So, the guesser is no different really than you, the listener. Well, you're quite a bit different than the listener in many ways, physically, mentally, Whoa. definitely spiritually. Oh, because I'm the guesser today? Yeah, you're the guesser with your black soul. What am I guessing? So, what you're guessing today is we've talked about horror films before mm-hmm. and you are, uh, between the two of us, much more of a, a horror film fan. I think you see nearly all the, you see a lot of horror movies and you've seen mm-hmm. a bunch. Uh, we've not talked about the best. Uh, it's hard to rank the best horror films, but that's what we're talking about today. The 10 best horror films of all time. And to, to work from an opinion-based list, we had to go to a, a reputable source. And that reputable source is uh, journalist Louise Blaine from gamesradar.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're bringing in the big guns. Yeah, I, I'm not the biggest games radar reader, but when I was looking at horror film lists, uh, Louise's list is the one that I've, I thought uh, actually kind of sounds, it sounds close to what I would pick uh, as well. And I thought it was, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also really sad. No. Uh, she, uh, okay. She's rated these based on not just their cinematic quality, but in how much they were game changers or how much they inspired or changed the genre of horror. Their impact on the genre. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think even though some of these may not be your favorites or you may not agree with the order, I think you will agree that all 10 of the movies on this list were groundbreaking, game changers, uh, big influences on the horror genre. What was the author's name? Sorry. Her name is Louise Blaine. Okay, Louise. So, she's ranking this based on what she considers the best, not her favorite. That's, right? yeah, that's what it seems to be. Okay. When was the article written? Just 14 days ago. Which would have been... 14 days yeah. ago. Which would have been May 14th, 2020. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you mean... Are you trying to do the math as if, again, we're doing this live in somebody's <laughs> ear? Yes. Well, we are. Yeah. Okay. So, we're, we're live in your ear, mm-hmm. June 10th, probably. Like a couple little pee-pee gnomes in your ear. Yeah. Well, see, this is fucked up though because if they listen to us not on the day we release, hmm... Okay. Well, whichever day you're listening to us, we're doing a live real-time replay of the show every day for every person in their ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I'm clinging to this so hard like I need to. Remember when you said that you thought there were a bunch of little elves operating your body inside? Yeah, that's why I said pee-pee gnomes. Yeah, you fucking jackass. God, you're a fucking jackass. Sorry. Wow. Uh, okay. 14 days ago. So, that means it's extremely current. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else I should know about her criteria? I don't think so. I will say of the 10 films on this, I am confident that you have, you've definitely heard of all of them, you're familiar with all of them, and I would be surprised if you had not seen all of them. I'd be very surprised if you'd not seen all. Have you seen all of them? I have seen all of them except for one, 
and it's the most recent, uh, most recently released film on this list. And I just watched the trailer for it uh, before we started recording and decided that I am interested to see it. All right. Anything else or are you ready to guess? That's it. Get it on. Let's get as uh, that little uh, clay uh, bald referee said on that. What was that show? Um, Celebrity Deathmatch. Celebrity Deathmatch. Let's get it on. Oh, what was his name? He was based on a real Yeah, uh, he's referee. a real guy. He's a judge, right? A judge and judge, a referee. Judge, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something like that. Listener of the show. Uh, we'll have to reach out to him. <laughs> that bald uh, judge. Let him know. Yeah. Hey, but before we get into it, I know I'm going to forget to do this later, so I'm going to do it now. Real quick shout out, uh, something new we're doing at the Tennis Pod. It's our monthly email newsletter. We're doing it and it's going to feature Brandon, your debut editorial column, yeah. the Sidekick Corner, right? Which you've probably already planned and probably written a long time ago by now, right? Of course. Yes. Okay. Well, if you want to get our newsletter in your inbox every month, we're also going to give discounts on merch. We're going to give our first look to upcoming episodes to people on our newsletter list and then Brandon's going to rant and rave and in a written format every <laughs> month. and rave, uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to go out the first Friday of every month. So, this episode's released on June... Oh, fuck. <laughs> this episode comes out after the first Friday. Okay. Well, if, so, if you want to get in on future Friday newsletters, just go to tennispod.com slash newsletter. Takes two seconds. Use those two seconds to do it. Yeah, tennispod.com slash newsletter. And after that, you can go to tennispod.com slash time to fucking shut up about plugs and guess the list. If you go there, your host Nick will start guessing this list. It's a hell of a shortcut URL. Per usual, Mm -hmm. because we have someone who's not an asshole guessing the list this week, I will try to reserve the top spot for later. Okay. I'm going to guess movies that I think would be... So, would you say it's fair to say that the average horror film connoisseur Someone who's pretty up to date and in the weeds on modern horror films. Mm-hmm. They would probably largely or partially agree with this top 10. Oh, uh, that, that I can't tell you. I will say that you mentioned in the weeds. The films on this list are not in, in the weeds of horror film. These are all films they're that all, are... They're all mainstream. Yes, they're all mainstream films. There's no um, uh, what a, uh, Human Centipede Part 2 on here. Oh, God damn. And I recommend not watching that. I actually watched it recently. Which one? The first the first, or the sequel? The sequel. I've seen uh, neither of them, but they sound like a real treat for the senses. The first one, you can say what you want about like whether or not it's a good movie, but it's at least a typical movie. Like it's got a plot, it's got characters, mm-hmm. like it's a gross premise, but it's still a movie. And the gross stuff is mostly implied. If I recall, you don't ever actually see anything gross. But in the second one, they throw that out the window and it's the grossest damn thing I've ever seen. So, <laughs> It's just a documentary of, of uh, someone doing surgery. It's, oh God, it's so bad. I don't want to talk about it anymore because okay. I'm starting to feel sick. I'm going to guess, hmm, I'm going to say this is around, I'll save that because I think it's near the top. Okay, let me think. What's going to be near the bottom of this? Let's start with classics. Are there classic horror yes. films on here? Yes. Okay. Frankenstein. No, not that classic. Sorry. Okay. So, you're thinking like 70s, 80s probably. There's no film on here that came out prior to like 1970. All of these have legitimate scares in them. There aren't any in here that are like, you know, if you watch that old black and white Frankenstein, I think you and I are probably so desensitized now that it would probably My be... My three-year-old watches it. Yeah, it'd be really boring. All of these would still give you a, a scare. Let's shout out some classics then. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th is not on the list. 
None of them? Okay. No. The original Halloween. The original Halloween is number six on the list. Knew it. Did I know it or what? You did. Okay. So, Halloween is a 1978 American slasher film directed and scored by John Carpenter, co-written with producer Deborah Hill and stars Donald Pleasance and Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut. I did not know this was Jamie Lee Curtis's first film. And the first guy you said, I'm assuming that's Michael Myers? No, no Donald Pleasance plays Dr. Loomis, the hero oh, of the story. Okay. I was going to say, because you could have said anybody there and I would have just accepted it. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. you can't see... Yeah, you get it. So, I'm going to try not to spoil these movies for people who are interested in seeing them. Uh, so, I won't try to spoil Halloween either. It's about a mental patient who is committed to a sanitarium for murdering his teenage sister on Halloween night when he was six years old. Fifteen years later, he escapes and returns to his hometown where he stalks a female babysitter and her friends while under pursuit by his psychiatrist. Yeah, Dr. Loomis. Yeah. How young were you when you first saw Halloween? Oh, um, you know, I actually, so you mentioned at the top how I'm a big horror fan and I am, mm -hmm. but Halloween is probably one of the first horror films most people see, but I saw it pretty late. I saw it probably, I was at least like a late teenager. Did you find it scary when you watched it? Uh, it's hard. You know, when you've seen a thousand horror films, I can appreciate what it was and yeah. the premise is scary. Yeah. Same here. It's, there's some on here, uh, some films on here and I'll tell you which ones that do, you know, did or do legitimately scare me. But Halloween, I enjoy quite a bit. I've seen it again recently and mm -hmm. I definitely appreciate it. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't keep me up at night. It doesn't give me pause in the dark when I'm like on my way to bed. Not like the killer clowns from space do. <laughs> they, they give you pause on your way to bed. Give me a different pause, <laughs> pawing at myself. <laughs> when it came out, some critics uh, suggested that it might encourage sadism and misogyny. Misogyny mm -hmm. and by audience identity. Excuse me. God damn, are you drunk? Identifying with its villain. And others have suggested that the film is a social critique of the immorality of youth and teenagers in 1970s America because many of Michael Myers' victims were sexually promiscuous substance abusers. Oh, baby. They were horned up uh, oh, druggies. Yeah. And the lone heroine, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, is innocent and pure. She doesn't, she doesn't do sex and she doesn't do pot. Uh, and that's the reason that she survives. You know, the like teens having sex and doing drugs thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that started here with Halloween. Probably not. Um, but that became like a staple <laughs> in slasher horror it's films It's the same forever. in Friday the 13th, isn't it? Yeah, but Friday the 13th came after Halloween. Yeah. Uh, it spawned a film franchise comprising 11 films, which helped construct an extensive backstory for its antagonist, Michael Myers. And now, when mm -hmm. I say Michael Myers, if you haven't seen the movie, this is not the guy who played Austin Powers, which is a common mistake. Yes. If you're hoping that Wayne from Wayne's World is in this movie, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Or Michael Myers takes off his mask after killing a victim, turns to the camera and says, <laughs> do I make you randy, baby? <laughs> I liked this quote from Dr. Loomis. Okay. Because the, this movie is predicated around the fact that this, that a six-year-old child in a clown costume murdered his sister on Halloween. That's how the film opens up. You see yeah. through Michael Myers' point of view, through the eye holes of this clown mask, and he kind of voyeuristically peeks around his home on Halloween night, and then he murders his sister. 
And then Dr. Loomis Uh says about the child, he says, I met this six-year-old child with his blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I realized what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Evil. That's some heavy shit to say about a six-year-old. Wait, were you reading one of our podcast reviews about the host? (laughs) But I think if I, you know, it's been a few years since I've seen the original Halloween. My recollection is that they, you know, that opening scene kills his sister. There's really no explanation or rhyme or reason. It's just happening and you're watching it. Yeah, he's just pure evil. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? Yeah. Did you see the remake? I've seen every remake. I saw the Rob Zombie remake and series Mm -hmm. and and, uh, the most recent remake where Jamie Lee Curtis was back. And if you're going to ask how what I thought, Mm -hmm. I like them. You can't beat the original. You just can't. But... I really like the Rob Zombie series. I don't know if that's controversial. I I don't think they're too popular in horror circles, but I liked... Why aren't they popular in horror circles? Because, well, there's always going to be a group of people that just refuse to like anything that's not the original of something. Right. So, there's that. And I think the Rob Zombie movies really go deeper into the backstory behind Michael Myers. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember reading something, it's so long ago, but I remember reading something from someone one time when they didn't like Michael Myers being humanized. You don't need his backstory, right? I don't think you do. You do to a certain extent, like the bare minimum. You need to know that he murdered his sister as a six-year-old. Yeah, right. But and leave the rest, leave the mystique there. Don't go deeper into it. And that's well, what that, the Rob Zombie movies kind of did. Well, that's a theme that, that, uh, that you'll see throughout the rest of this list is uh, that sometimes the surest way to a scare is to show less and imply more. Yes. Right. All right. So, that's Halloween at number six. Are you more of a Halloween or a Friday the 13th guy? Mm, between the two, I would have to say Halloween. I think the original Halloween is better than the original Friday the 13th, but mm-hmm. I enjoy the sequels more of Friday the 13th. Uh, partly because they kind of embrace the camp a little bit as the series goes on. Yeah, I think I would. In- I agree with you on the sequels for that reason. If you're just going to go with the fact that like Jason Voorhees is an unstoppable giant killing machine who finds new creative ways to kill people, then yeah, just lean hard into it and have fun. Yeah, and he comes back to life all the time. Um, I'm going to guess number five. Five or four is A Nightmare on Elm Street. No, The Nightmare on Elm Street is not in the top ten. Well. But there is another Wes Craven film in the top 10. It's Scream. It is Scream. It is number it's, wait, nine. It's number... Oh, God damn it. I was literally about to say nine. Now you'll never believe me. Oh, I, I know, even if you had come out of your mouth, I would have just assumed you were peeking over my shoulder. <laughs> Voyeuristically, like you said. <laughs> Through your clown mask eye holes. Yeah, Scream is a 1996 American comedy slasher film directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Do you know what else Kevin Williamson wrote? Black Swan. Dawson's Creek. Oh, good. I can see that. It, it, there is some Dawson's Creek influence. There in is Scream. some Dawson's Creek. It's that late 90s movie and TV cliche of teenagers that speak in overly verbose monologues. <laughs> verbose? What is that again? Verbose? Verbose yeah. means uh, wordy. Fuck. You learned something <laughs> okay. today. Yeah, Scream, <laughs> Scream stars uh, David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Skeet. and Drew Barrymore. You know, out of the people on that list, let's see, David Arquette, I don't know if, I mean, I haven't seen him in anything in a long time. Nev Campbell, I haven't seen her in much either. Courtney Cox She's is still making stuff. 
Where's Drew Barrymore been? Uh, the last thing I saw her on was an episode of Norm Macdonald Has a Show. I don't think she has to work. Also, Matthew Lillard. Oh, is that the guy who plays Shaggy in Scooby-Doo? Yeah. Do you know he also does the voice for Shaggy in like, like he does the live action Shaggy, but his voice is so good that he also does the voice work for like cartoon Shaggy now. Could you imagine? Okay. This is a side story of a side story, but I saw on Instagram recently, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson was, he posted a video singing the You're Welcome song from Moana to his like two-year-old. Mm-hmm. In his post, he was saying how she asked for that song every night, but she still hasn't made the connection that he's the real voice behind the character Maui in Moana that sings that song. That made me just stop and think, what a f- mind fuck that will be for a kid. Because you know that kid's going to grow up and when she goes to kindergarten or first grade, she's going to be like, wait a minute, your dad isn't the voice of like a super famous animated character in a <laughs> Disney da- movie? Your dad's just an accountant? So, I don't know what my point is there. I don't even remember what you said to remind me of that, but there you go. That's the kind of stuff you get from the Tennis Podcast. So, I actually remember, uh, this is one of the few movies that came out like a long time ago, but I remember distinctly seeing it. Uh, I remember the theater that I saw it at, and I remember the group of friends that I was with when I saw it. What, Scream? Yeah. I mean, it didn't I like- I think it's overrated. It didn't like change my life or anything, but it definitely was a, I think you can agree, it was, it revitalized the horror genre. Horror had kind of yeah. died. I have a list. Yeah, it, uh, it was credited with revitalizing the horror genre in the 90s. The horror genre was considered to be almost dead uh, because of all of the direct-to-video titles and numerous sequels like Jason Goes to Space. Mm-hmm. Those were sequels to established horror franchises of the 70s and 80s. And in this film, uh, it was also unique in that the characters were aware of real-world horror films and openly discussed the cliches that the film attempted to subvert. If you have not yep. seen Scream, it follows the character of Sidney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, a high school student in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California. She becomes a target of a mysterious killer in Halloween costume known as Ghostface. Uh, and Drew Barrymore, well, I guess maybe this is a spoiler, but if you're going to watch it, uh, you ought to know this anyway. Drew, don't get too attached to Drew Barrymore. Don't get too attached okay. to the biggest star in the movie. Wow. Throwing some shade at Courtney Cox, but all right. I think she was at the time. I uh, did not know this. Scream was inspired by the real life case of the Gainesville Ripper. Did you ever hear of the Gainesville Ripper? No. I was going no. to go into it on this, but then I decided it was way... <laughs> Like, <laughs> there's no yucks in discussing the Gainesville Ripper, but I do well, encourage the, you. Yeah. Oh, no, he, I, I, I don't want to get too into it. He murdered uh, some co-eds in Florida and he like disemboweled them and posed them. And it's not nearly as fun as when uh, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard do it. <laughs> no. Just tell me this. Did he do similar tactics where he'd call on the phone and wear a mask and stuff? No, uh, it was... Very quickly, he broke into a house. There were two co-eds sleeping in there. He went upstairs and murdered one while the other slept downstairs and then went down and like, like before she woke up, duct tape her mouth. So, when she woke up, she was already, you know, knew that she was in trouble and then stabbed her a bunch of times. And Okay. Yeah, you're right. That wasn't fun. No, it's not. In the years following the release of Scream, the film was then accused of inspiring and even inducing violent crimes and murders. And there were several of those as well that I won't get into because those were, again, very serious. They were no laughing matter, but it did inspire at least 
three crimes that I was able to read about. What's your personal opinion on, on that take? That horror films like Scream lead to violence? I mean, not in mass. I don't think, obviously, if you make a movie like Scream, people aren't going to go out and go crazy stabbing each other. But no matter what you do, if something is popular and interesting, there's always going to be some low IQ, mouth-breathing, lowest common denominator person out there who is going to claim to be inspired by it because they want to do something stupid or evil. That's how those three crimes uh, sounded to me. We talked about Human Centipede for a minute at the beginning. Just real quick, the sequel, the one that I was saying was brutal, the whole premise is that someone watched the first one and then wanted to copycat it. Like it's it's very meta in that way. I mean, it's one thing to say like, oh, I saw somebody stabbing. I'll go stabbing. It's another thing to be like, I'll sew a bunch of people's mouths to other people's ani. 12 people. But damn it, I promised I wouldn't talk about it. So, let's not talk about it. Yeah. All right. Do you think Hollywood has any, and I'm not saying I do or don't, I'm just making discussion. Do you think Hollywood has any sort of responsibility to society as far as that goes? No. Okay. No way. I am firmly on the side of like, Absolutely not. A film can like inspire people in all kinds of ways, but if it inspires you to like commit a crime, then it's on you to fucking not do the thing that you know is wrong. Yep. I'm with you. Okay. Let me give another guess here. Is Jaws considered a horror film? Jaws is and I'm surprised. I thought that's one I might have to give you clues about later on because- Number one. It's not number one. Two. No. Three. Jaws is number seven on the list. Knew it. Knew it. Jaws is not a movie that I typically think of when I think of horror, but uh, it is. It is a thriller, actually. It's a 1975 American thriller film directed by, how do you say this, Steven Spielberg? Hmm. Yeah, we'll have to check on that. What else has he done? Has he done anything else? Some little fella named Steven Spielberg and based on Peter Benchley's 1974 novel of the same name. If you've not seen Jaws, uh, I don't know what to do for you, but it's about a man-eating great white shark (laughs) that attacks beachgoers at a summer resort town and it prompts the police chief, Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider, to hunt it down with the help of a marine biologist named Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss, and a professional shark hunter, the badass Quint, played by Robert Shaw. Why? Now, I'm not saying it should, Mm -hmm. but... I'm saying I'm surprised it hasn't been. Why has Jaws not been remade? Uh, I think it's because of its like classic status. I also don't think like Spielberg would allow it. Oh, does he own the rights? Well, yeah, he made it. I'm sure he. I'm sure he has. Yeah, like, usually, the final say. Usually, the studio owns the rights. Oh, uh, maybe so, but uh, no, I don't think it needs to be. I don't think, and I also yeah, no, don't no, think I'd... like in this day and age when we've had like Sharknado. Yeah, Sharknado was my guess for number one, uh, and then there was that one that. The premise of this really intrigued me and I remember being pumped for it and then when I saw it, I was really disappointed and it was Open Water. Do you remember yeah, that movie? I, I remember seeing the previews for it. It was not that good? No. It, that's the one where, and it was a pretty groundbreaking idea at the time. It was one of those movies where it's one scene, the whole movie. Yeah, and like, like you, a found yeah, footage thing, right? Yeah. You're at the same scene the entire movie, which is pretty rare at the time. And it was about these two people stranded out in the middle of the ocean and a shark was swimming them. Cool idea, not good execution. 
Uh, Just like this podcast. I mentioned earlier that minimalist approach, the only, you know, inferring the presence or uh, yes. uh, of the monster. Now, that came about in this movie because the art department's mechanical sharks kept fucking up. Uh, mm-hmm. I've read all kinds of different ways these sharks did not work and Spielberg decided to mostly suggest the shark's presence, employing an ominous and minimalist theme created by composer John Williams to indicate its impending appearances. Spielberg and others have compared this suggestive approach to that of uh, director Alfred Hitchcock. Is it fair to say that that was done out of necessity, not out of desire? So, it was almost a happy accident? Yeah, it was done out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah, the shark kept screwing up all over the place. Like, people were so... The crew... So, this was Spielberg's first, like, big movie. He's since said that, like, you know, he didn't really know what he was doing. And it was also the first major film to be shot on the ocean. So, in addition to, like, figuring out how to film a major motion picture, he was doing it on the sea. The crew said stuff like, you know, on a good day, they would get, like, four scenes shot. On a bad day, they'd get, like, two. And on a really bad day, they would get nothing shot, which is... Hmm. It, went, it was the first film to go more than 100 days past its schedule. Uh, but it became the prototypical summer blockbuster and regarded as a watershed moment in motion picture history. Yep. And then because the crew was so pissed off, I didn't know this. Found out today Spielberg himself was not present for the shooting of the final scene in which the shark, uh, I guess I should, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> fucking spoiler, the shark If you the think shark the shark explodes. lives, then you don't know how yeah. movies work. So, uh, he wasn't there that day for that shooting because he, he believed that the crew was planning to throw him in the water when the scene was done. Got a frustration? <laughs> yeah. The shark does die at the end, right? Am I remembering that? Yeah. The, so, at the, at the end, the shark has, it attacks uh, Hooper when he is in a shark cage in the water. Uh, Hooper's able to escape the cage and he hides on the seabed. Uh, then the shark attacks the boat and Quint, the uh, shark hunter, is swallowed by the shark and eaten. And, <laughs> and Brody, the police chief, wedges a pressurized air tank into the shark's mouth and then he climbs up to the top of the boat and shoots it with a rifle and it explodes and blows up the shark. I love that if this movie was made today, that shark would be 100% CGI. Yeah. And, you know, a shitty mechanical shark. Maybe it's not better, but I like the effort. So, I mentioned I like Quint. Quint is uh, one of my favorite uh, movie characters. He's a professional shark hunter. He's played by Robert Shaw. And Robert Shaw is actually really close to the actual character of Quint. During filming, he fled to Canada whenever he could due to tax problems, for some reason, engaged in binge drinking, and developed a grudge against Richard Dreyfuss. Why? Because Richard Dreyfuss was getting good reviews for his performance in another movie. (laughs) Yeah, well. He's just a bit of a dickhead. Richard Dreyfuss, isn't that Julie Louise Dreyfuss's father? Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> Reduced beach attendance in 1975 was attributed to Jaws, as well as an increased number of reported shark sightings. I will say, if you watch Jaws and then go to the ocean, uh, it sticks in your craw a little bit. Um, sure. That's well, it. and when Jaws, when Jaws came out, it was the highest grossing film ever. That's recall. right. It was uh, usurped very soon by uh, Star Wars, just two years later. Yeah. Number seven, Jaws. Hmm. 
Number one or two is The Exorcist. No, number five is The Exorcist. I knew it. Of course. The Exorcist. It's not about exercising. It's a 1973 American supernatural horror film directed by William Friedkin and produced and written for the screen by William Peter Blatty based on his 1971 novel of the same name. Allegedly. The Exorcist is one of my favorite horror films. Uh, It is, I will admit, one of the ones that does still legitimately mess with me. Even though I don't believe that the devil is a real thing uh, or that Uh demonic... Hot take, hot take. I'm not into like, I don't believe that demons are real. It's still like, if I watch that and then the house is like completely dark when it's over, I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't like run through the house to go turn all the lights on, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like uh, I just want to get to bed and, and get out well, of here. Well, you said you don't think demons are real, so all of our demon listeners right now are really fucking upset now. Pissed off, yeah. I think we might have talked about this on here before. I read the novel for The Exorcist when I was 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, because you're a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. And if you have seen The Exorcist but not seen the novel, just imagine everything that's scary about The Exorcist and add in a bunch of satanic black mass on top of it. And yeah, it messed me up for a while. I don't, maybe I mentioned this before or not, but after when I was reading it at night, I would like get so freaked out with the book sitting on my nightstand that I would put my Bible on top of it. Yes, to like you mentioned that. <laughs> cover it up, cancel it out. No, what would you have done if you put the Bible on top of it and you thought, okay, I'm good. And then you laid down and you just closed your eyes and then all of a sudden the Bible like thumped off of it and landed on the floor. What would you have done? I've never set foot <laughs> in my bedroom again. And I probably would have never read anything again. Stopped reading. Like Kanye. Huh? Oh, yeah. Kanye doesn't read. Kanye he doesn't West wanna... hates books. Yeah. He doesn't want the fuck. Whoever got an autograph from the book. <laughs> That's a real quote. Uh, the Exorcist follows the demonic possession of a 12-year-old girl and her mother's attempt to rescue her through an exorcism conducted by two priests. Did anyone nope. ever stop to think, maybe that 12-year-old girl just really wanted some attention? Well, she did. She was trying to get attention uh, by using the Ouija board to talk to Captain Howdy. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the demon introduced itself to her by saying his name was Captain Howdy, which sounds really cute and sweet. Yeah. But he wasn't. He made her masturbate with a crucifix in front of her mother and a priest. Whoa, okay. Uh, So, The Exorcist was released in 24 theaters in the United States and Canada in late December of 1973. And audiences flocked to it, waiting in long lines during cold, cold winter weather, many doing so more than once, despite the mixed critical reviews. Some viewers had adverse physical reactions, often fainting or vomiting, due to scenes such as its protagonist undergoing a realistic cerebral angiography and, as I mentioned, masturbating with a crucifix. What's there a rep- cerebral angiography? Is that where she, her head spins around? No, that's where they, they're doing a medical procedure on her and they insert something into her neck and blood squirts out. Oh. And they okay. really did that to her. They re- that was her real blood. It's kind of messy. Sounds unnecessary, used, but yeah. yeah. Uh, there were reports of heart attacks and miscarriages. A psychiatric <laughs> journal... Carried a paper on cinematic neurosis triggered by the film. Many children were taken to see the film, leading to charges that the MPAA ratings board had accommodated Warner Brothers by giving them an R rating instead of the X they thought it deserved in order to ensure its commercial success. 
A few cities tried to ban it outright or prevent children from seeing it, and obscenity concerns kept the film from a home video release in the United Kingdom until 1999. Wow. Now that I had never heard before. I'd never heard that either. I mean, I'd heard about like people, you know, throwing up and getting upset and all that stuff, but I, I didn't know that if you grew up in the United Kingdom and didn't see it in the theater, you probably never saw it on home video until at least 1999. Yeah. I don't think the United Kingdom got internet until like last year. Well, it's interesting that they released on a home video in 1999 because in 2000, they released a director's cut of the film. And I remember going to see this at the theater. I was a freshman in college and there was a, a girl who ended up becoming my girlfriend. But at the time, I just, wow. I just, I was just, mm. uh, I mm. a fucking slow down here. Nothing happens. Okay. Uh, but we went with a group of friends. At the time, I just really liked her. And, you know, I wanted her to be my girlfriend. But we went to see this movie together. And in the director's cut, there is an additional scene that was added back in that had been cut from the original theatrical release. And it's where Reagan spider walks backwards down the stairs. Yeah. Is that not in the original? No, it's not. Huh. I guess that's the version I've, I'm most familiar with yeah, because I've I seen that. Yeah, I remember seeing it younger and yeah, that wasn't in it. And then college I went and we're sitting in the theater and she spider walks down the stairs and then she gets to the bomb, she opens her mouth and there's blood flowing in her mouth and it's holy shit. And this girl's reaction to scary things was to giggle or laugh. And I remember I got so pissed at her. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I like this girl anymore. She laughed at the exorcist. That's literally a sign. That's literally something Jerry would do in this yeah, Seinfeld episode. This is very upsetting. Uh, but I, I got over it. Oh, so you dated her anyway? Yeah, I dated her anyway. I, I threw her above. You're a pig. You're a pig. Stupid question. But am I correct in saying that was the first film that explored this sort of demonic possession topic? I yeah, I think so. Yeah. And now look at how many shitty, good and shitty films we've had since then with that premise. I don't know that I've seen another movie about exorcism that comes anywhere close to The Exorcist. I wonder if you'd still say that if you'd never seen The Exorcist. Maybe you would. <laughs> to me, the, mo the strength of The Exorcist is in the sound, is in the voice work and the dialogue that comes out of Reagan mm -hmm. and the makeup. Like, I can't even think of that movie without thinking of how she looks towards the end of the movie and how <laughs> disgusting and horrible and scary she looks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so good times. The Exorcist, good number times. five. I was pretty sure that was going to be number one or two, so I have a new contender for one or two that I will save in my back pocket. Uh, why don't I say eight or ten is The Blair Witch Project? The Blair Witch Project is not in the top ten, which I think is a shock yeah, I think and a it's surprise. Bullshit. Yeah. Well, I think that film, we've talked about it before, so I won't yeah. beat it to death. But real quick, I'll just say I think that film is kind of overlooked and underrated now because so many people made fun of it for so long that that's kind of the lasting impression it has in society and culture. But I think objectively, it's a groundbreaking film. I might have mentioned this before, but when I saw The Blair Witch, one of the friends that I went to see it with, when we left the theater, she legit cried. She was so upset because the marketing had portrayed it as a true story. We had to tell her, like, the advertisements are saying that it's based on a true story. It's not a true story. They really are actors. She was legitimately really messed up because oh, of that. I think that's the first time that sort of tactic was used in a mainstream movie like that. And they do that again in Paranormal Activity. 
There is another film on this list that used a similar tactic that came much earlier, but not in the same way, not in a found footage way, but did use okay. the same... Um, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What, where do you think that falls on this list? If it was me, it would be eight or 10, but the way you asked that question, I have to think it's three or four. That's actually number two on this list, which is probably wow, one of the high. more... Yeah, probably one of the more controversial placements on this list, but... Uh, I have to assume that Louise Blaine knows her stuff better than I do. Well, do you want to pick a fight with her about this? I mean, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. It's a great horror film, but it's not the second best of all time. No, but it did do quite a bit of inspiration across the genre. Now, if you... Sure. If you're not familiar with it, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a 1974 American slasher film directed by Toby Hooper and written and co-produced by Hooper and Kim Henkel. It has no big name stars in it. Main big star to come at it is old Leatherface, yep. who, as I think we've discussed before, is based on real life serial killer Ed Gein. Loosely based. Loosely based with his mask made of human skin. Yeah. And we also want to thank Leatherface for his support on our tennis Patreon. Yeah. You can just imagine him sitting at a computer and like using a mouse. <laughs> Getting frustrated with, a, with the spinning wheel of death on a browser. Just taking a chainsaw to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now, as I mentioned, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was marketed as being based on true events. It was done to attract a wider audience and to act as a subtle commentary on the era's political climate. Now, Toby Hooper produced that film for less than $140,000 in 1974. That's crazy. Adjusted crazy. for inflation, that's produced for less than 700000 in today's dollars. Did you know it was banned in several countries and numerous theaters stopped showing the film in response to complaints about its violence? Why do, peop Why do people... If you don't want to see a violent movie, then just don't go see it. It's really that simple. Or if, once you've seen it, the damage is done. Yes. But they want to save the youth of the nation. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, whatever. Now, it was credited with originating several elements common in the slasher genre, including the use of power tools as murder weapons, <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. The characterization of the killer as a large, hulking, faceless figure and mm -hmm. the killing of victims. Uh, now, large, faceless, hulking figure is key. That's a really effective horror film trope. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that the less you know about your villain, the better. Right. Usually. There's exceptions, but in most cases, I would say, don't tell us too much. Well, Just like, uh, let, the, let him be. Like uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight. Yes, exactly. If you knew who he, you know, if you knew his real name or how he became the Joker, it loses all of his power. They expand on that by having him tell a different way he got his right. scars each time. Right. Now, I have not seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre since, since I was a young, disturbed child, but I... Did you put your Bible on your father's chainsaw in the garage? <laughs> yeah. Dad, I have to cancel this out. I do remember some of the unique kills. Uh, I know that Leatherface kills with a hammer at one point. He impales mm -hmm. a woman on a meat hook and he kills at least one man with a chainsaw. <laughs> hmm. Maybe that's where they got the name. Yeah, and another, uh, another reference or inspiration taken from Ed Gein was that room that was full of uh, furniture that was made from human bones. Yes. Toby Hooper noted that at the rap party, all of the cast members had obtained some level of injury. He said it took them a few years to kind of get over 
their treatment or their wounds that they sustained in making that. I think I might have mentioned this film critic before. There's a YouTube uh, or, or internet film critic. His name is Rob. I don't know if it's, it's Ager or Auger. It's A-G-E-R. Yes. He does a lot of great film analysis and uh, he's analyzed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He describes the irony in humans being slaughtered for meat, putting humans in the position of being slaughtered like farm animals. And director Toby Hooper has confirmed that it is a film about meat. And he even gave up meat while making the film, saying, in a way, I thought the heart of the film was about meat. It's about the chain of life and killing sentient beings. Well, I got news for you. The world, the universe, it's all about meat. This podcast is about meat. It's all meat. (laughs) Meat this, meat that. You want to disagree? You and I are just bags of meat talking. Pleased to meet you, meat to please you. Ah, damn, what the fuck? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Number two. I've mentioned this, you know, we did an episode, I brought a list on the, um, what was it? The, the horror villains with the highest kill count. Yeah. And when we talked about Leatherface, I remember I had a note about how the filmmakers, they were exploring the character of Leatherface and Leatherface was a deeply disturbed, mentally unstable individual, obviously. He was incapable of emotions or empathy and because of that, he had to have a different mask to express different emotions. Right. So, there's that. That's cute. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you need to wear someone else's skin. Doing it now. Why don't I say hmm, it? It is not in the top 10. Child's Play. Neither is Child's Play. Um, Alien. Alien is number eight on the list. Alien, which was pitched to studio executives as Jaws in Space. Which I think is funny. I mean, funny because, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, because it does have a similar theme where Ridley Scott chose not to show the full alien for most of the film, keeping most of its body in the shadows to create a sense of horror and heightened suspense. The audience could thus project their own fears into imagining what the rest of the creature might look like. Uh, what creature are we talking about? It's The Alien, a 1979 science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon. It follows the crew of the commercial space tug Nostromo who encounter the eponymous alien, a deadly and aggressive extraterrestrial set loose on the ship. Hell of an ass too. Yeah, uh, a uh, slimy insect-like ass. Uh, <laughs> hey. I call it like I see it. A good ass is a good ass. It stars Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, and John Hurt. Yes, of course. It won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. You do not hear of horror films winning Academy Awards very often, so that is a big achievement. It is. Uh, Now, Ridley Scott wanted the alien at the end of the film, his original ending, he wanted the alien to bite off her head and then make the final log entry in her voice. But the producers vetoed this idea and they, as they said that the aliens got to die at the end of the movie. Yeah. You might remember the most exciting parts of this to me, the most gross and memorable parts are the face hugger alien and yep. then the chest burster. Face hugger, che- chest burster. I think the chest burster is what happens when you eat some of the food in our highest calorie episode. I, I recently showed the film Spaceballs to my seven-year-old. And he's never, obviously, he's never seen Alien. So, at the part in Spaceballs at the end where they have the real actor, John Hurt, come and he's sitting in a diner and eating and they're like, John Candy's trying to figure out what to eat. <laughs> <laughs> then this guy's like, have it has the special. 
<laughs> and he falls over. And he's like, oh, God. Oh, he goes, oh, shit, not again. And the alien bursts out. But in Spaceballs, he goes, he dances across the counter. <laughs> Hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. And Mike's son was just mortified by the whole thing. Oh, he didn't love it? I thought he'd love it. No, he was really freaked out. <laughs> I love how any adult in the world recognizes that's a funny little thing, but your son is terrified. He was scary enough and then the fact that it started dancing and singing freaked him out even more. He wasn't expecting that in Spaceballs. Were his eyes wide and he was just staring at the TV? Yes. Yeah. You know, the cutest damn thing is my six-year-old daughter is obsessed with spooky stuff and of course, Uh you know, we, we limit and supervise that. But she likes the classic like 60s version of the Wolfman and stuff yeah. like that. And my son, who's three, will want to watch whatever Big Sister's watching, but he'll sit there and on the, you know, on the scarier parts, he'll cover his eyes. He can't take and it. And look away. Yeah, it's, it's cute. That's it. All right. It's cute. Now, the writer, Dan O'Bannon, he himself, he later described the, have you heard the imagery or the themes in Alien described as sexual in nature? No. Okay. Well. I guess that went right over your head. He described the sexual imagery in Alien as overt and intentional, saying one thing that people are all disturbed about is sex. I said, that's how I'm going to attack the audience. I'm going to attack them sexually, and I'm not going to go after the women in the audience. I'm going to attack the men. I'm going to put in every image I can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs. Homosexual oral rape, birth, the thing lays its eggs down your throat, the whole number. I guess yeah, now that you mention it, I don't know how I missed it. <laughs> so yeah, alien. Remaining, you have number 10, number four, three, and number one. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is not on here, which no, is... That is not right. Which is one that I probably would have put in the top 10. It does stick with me because it is so real. It's realistic. Seven. Oh, the movie Seven. No, Seven is not in the top 10 either. I wouldn't expect to see this on most top 10 lists. It'd be on mine, but I'll give it a guess anyway. Saw? First Saw? No, Saw is not on here. Yeah, I didn't think so. Is there anything left in here that's kind of like borderline not horror, kind of like Jaws? No. Uh, The remaining four items on the list are all uh, soundly horror films. Again, I'm saving my number one. So, let me just think for a minute here. Are there any more slashers? No. Are there any more uh, like serial killer-esque like, uh, like uh, Scream? No. There's one that is zombie based. There's oh, a- Dawn of the, uh, Day of the Dead? Dawn of the Dead? No, but, there, but this film was one of the reasons I think Dawn of the Dead was accepted and popular. And I, th- it- I think in this <sighs> film they might not have been referred to as zombies. Also, this film inspired the, uh, what I, I believe the opening of the Walking Dead series. Are you saying this is an older one? No, it came out in the 2000s. 28 Days Later? 28 Days Later is number 10 on the list. Okay. It is a 2002 British post-apocalyptic horror film directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland. I did not know it was an Alex Garland film. What else has he written? Alex Garland wrote The Beach, uh, both the book and the film version. He wrote Alex Garland has written some great novels and he's also written some good films. Has he written any episodes of Hey Arnold? (laughs) Possibly. 
And it stars Cillian Murphy, Naomi Harris. And the plot depicts the breakdown of society following the accidental release of a highly contagious rage virus and focuses on the struggle for survivors to cope with the destruction of the life they once knew while evading those infected by the virus. And this movie was the first in, or not the first, but one of the ones to popularize the fast-moving, the running zombie. Yeah, you're right. Credited with reinvigorating the zombie the zombie genre of horror film. 2004 is when the remake of Dawn of the Dead came out. So it would have been, it owes something to 28 yeah, Days I, Later. Yeah, I was referring to the original Dawn of the Dead, in fact, but okay. All right. I see you 28 Days Later. Good movie. Yeah, now 28, the sequel's pretty good too. I did not see the sequel. I did see 28 Days Later. Did give me the heebie-jeebies because of how quick those zombies shamble around. Now, athletes. Well, they don't shamble at all. Danny Boyle cast athletes as the infected because of how important the physicality was to the performance. He felt that since athletes can do things that other people can't, they would be interesting when translating into the movements of the infected. You do have to admit that in a zombie scenario, Mm -hmm. the zombies in 28 Days Later are the number one scariest kind. Yes. Because they will sprint after you like an Olympic sprinting competition yeah they are shockingly scary fast and and they don't get tired and don't they make a gross like scary noise don't they like roar well kind of like scream roar at yeah you? well i guess any noise they make is going to be kind of freaky yeah even if they squeaked it would be scary <laughs> if they're running that fast or if they ran up to you at full speed and you're trapped you're cornered you can't get away and they finally get up to your face and they just slowly reach out and grab your nose and go, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that would also be scary. I was thinking of a ooga horn too. <laughs> yes. This is quality content we're putting out today. Mm-hmm. So, you're welcome everybody. So, remaining are number one, number three, and number four. I'm going to guess some really, really modern ones like Get Out. Get Out and Us are not in the top ten. Okay. I was thinking if Us might be the one you were talking about. The, the uh, there is. So, of the ones remaining, there are two that were released in the 80s and there is one that is v- fairly recent. It was released in 2018. And I have, this is the only one that I hadn't seen. Like I mentioned, it's an A20. Is it like Bird Box or something? No. It's an A24 film. Uh, that's the studio. Same studio who gave us The Witch and The Lighthouse. I'm sure you have seen it. I'm sure I have too. I just can't think of what it would be. Um, Let's come back to that. I'm going to go ahead and give my number one away. It's The Shining. It is The Shining. Number one in our hearts, at least my heart, and number one on this list is The Shining. The 1980s psychological horror film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick, co-written with novelist Diane Johnson. Oh, I was talking about the TV version of The Shining. (laughs) No. Uh, Based on Stephen King's 1977 novel, Starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, <laughs> and Danny Lloyd. Did you know Danny Lloyd didn't know he was filming a horror movie? It's a little boy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's when you think about it, you're like, fucking, thank God he didn't know what he was making. They went to great lengths to protect him during the I don't film. know how you do some of those scenes with Jack and not. I often wonder about that because that kid is young, had to have been four or five at the most. How do you get a kid to act? I was just thinking. I don't understand it. I couldn't get my kid to do anything close to that. And like he's he's bright. He's seven, but like I he I could not get him to 
pretend that way. It must be something that they're I just... I couldn't get my six-year-old to even sit still for more than 10 seconds. Yeah. If I promised her a $20 billion shopping spree at the toy store, I couldn't get her to sit still for 10 seconds. So, kudos to this kid. But damn, I don't... Yeah, that's... They must have used some pretty neat little tricks to fool him because some of those scenes are intense. Including the scenes where his face is all scared. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I love The Shining, why I think it would be rated number one as the best horror film. I think a lot of credit needs to be given to the soundtrack. Yeah, no, I'd agree. The soundtrack was not created for the film. I don't know if people realize this, but all the music in the film or the, the sounds that, that it is technically music. It's a lot of experimental music that is made to make you feel distressed or scared. It's the soundtrack. It's also the use of silence in other areas and that idea of isolation, like underlying all of this. You know, in most horror movies, you know, if a house is haunted, you know, you could run out of that house and run next door and that house isn't haunted, you know, or you could get in your car and drive for like five minutes and you could go to Target and that ain't going to be haunted. But in The Shining, you are stuck in this place. There is no way out. For months, you are going to be stuck in this hotel with no hope of leaving. Yep. We talked at length about The Shining before, so I didn't want to get too, I didn't want to get too deep yeah. into it on this one. But to kind of underline and underscore what you were just, just the power of the film, think about the premise you just read. It's a family stuck in a hotel for months in the wintertime. Think about that, like that one sentence overview of the film. Compare that well, to I've been the- doing that for the last eight weeks. <laughs> Compa- <laughs> right? Yeah. Compare that to the one-sentence overview of every other film in the top 10 so far. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Exorcist, Halloween, Jaws, Alien, Scream, 28 Days Later. The Shinings would sound by far the most boring if you didn't know anything besides that plot summary. But it is also by far the best, in my opinion, as well as yours. Others could disagree, fine, but it is truly, undeniably one of the most influential, impactful films of all time. And yeah, we've talked enough about it, so we don't have to go on, but... It gets under your skin. Yep. And the book's, in my opinion, just as good. Uh, okay, so I happened to pull a brand in here and cheat a little bit. Okay. I looked at 2018 in film and I didn't say horror film. I just kind of was going through the month by month breakdown of films yeah. and I came across this one, has to be it. And I'm surprised it is. Now, I love the film, but I'm surprised it's this high. It's hereditary. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised as well. Like I said, even though I haven't seen it. Surprised to see it this high on the list. I thought this might be one of the more controversial entries. Yeah. So, Hereditary is a 2018 American supernatural horror film written and directed by Ari Aster in his feature mm-hmm. film directorial debut. Stars Tony Collette. Really? Yeah. I'm always impressed with, when someone's feature film debut is something that is that widely regarded. Like um, Frank Darabont, his first film was yeah, yeah. The Shawshank Redemption. And I was just looking at the guy that you, Ari, what is it? What's his name? Aster. Ari Aster. He wrote and directed Midsummer last year yeah. as well, which is another great horror film. Uh, stars Tony Collette, Alex Wolf, Millie Shapiro, and Gabriel Byrne as a family haunted by a mysterious presence after the death of their secretive grandmother. It's A24's highest grossing film worldwide. Uh, apologies if you hear the whining in the background. This puppy is getting antsy. As I mentioned, I haven't seen it, but I was sure that you have. So, I was going to ask you, how was it? How'd you feel about it? Uh, it's really, really good. I'd put it in my top 20. I probably wouldn't put it in my top 10, but top 20 is still pretty good. 
it's very dark. And the acting of Tony Collette, who plays the mother in the film, is probably some of the best acting you're going to see in a film. Super depressing, super morbid, and a bit of a twist ending. But I remember uh, early on in the Tennis podcast, I saw on Twitter someone saying something along the lines of Hereditary is the most overrated horror film ever made. Oh, really? Yeah. And I replied, or she said like, please reply to this if you like that movie so I can explain why you're wrong. Some, something kind of like that. And I replied and, and I don't remember all the details, but the gist was she was saying that nothing happens. It's super boring, blah, blah, blah. And I hate that argument when it comes to horror films. Super to me, boring. that's a, yeah, that's a signal that your taste is very limited yeah. to me. But anyway, another story. Hereditary is a great movie and I liked it and you should watch it. What number was Hereditary? Sorry, Hereditary is number four on the list. Huh. Pretty high. Now, I have a note here you may not know about Hereditary. Alex Wolf, who plays the brother, he decided to go method for this film. He did method acting. Really? Yeah. And he insisted on being referred to as Peter, his character's name during production. And I thought this was super douchey. After filming his very last <laughs> scene, he symbolically introduced himself to the crew as Alex. What an asshole. <laughs> that is such a jackass move. I hope he's embarrassed <laughs> about that. I just looked him up. He's only 22. So, he would have been like 19 or something yeah. when this was being filmed. It's something a 19-year-old would do. Well, in his defense, he did a great job in that movie. You know, I'd put The Witch in my top 10, which it's clearly not in, your to in no, this top 10 here. It's not in the top 10 here, but it would, it would be in mine. Mostly for its similarities in tone to The Shining. Yeah. Okay. So, there's one left at number three. It's an 80s film. Is it Evil Dead? It is not. This film came out in 1982. I'll give you a good hint. Uh, it was directed by someone who has another film in the top 10. Okay. So, Steven Spielberg, E.T.? No, it's not, it's not Steven Spielberg. Okay. It's got to be Stanley Kubrick. Funny. No, it's not Kubrick, but it's funny that you mentioned E.T. because E.T. was in theaters at the same time as this film, and it is partly the reason that this film was not a box office hit. Can I get some credit for knowing off the top of my head that E.T. was in 1982? Come on. I don't think you knew that. I did. I said it. Oh, well. <sighs> I'm good with dates. Okay. 82. Another director. Is Wes Craven? It's not Wes Craven. Uh, well, then who is this director? John Carpenter? John Carpenter. Oh, um, the Thing. The Thing. No way. That's not number three. Come on. Now, I have not seen The Thing since I was a little kid. So, I barely remembered any of it and I had to really dig into the wiki article and the IMDb articles. You had to dig into your thing? I had to dig into the thing. I get it. It's a 1982 American science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter and written by Bill Lancaster. It's based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella, Who Goes There? It tells the story of a group in American, of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the eponymous Thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any one of them could be the Thing. It's a good premise. It is a good premise, though one of, the, one of the things I remembered as a kid about it and still enjoy about it is the amount of Kurt Russell in it. God. Kurt Russell always, like, fucking brings it. 
I don't know, but like, are we celebrating him as much as he needs to be celebrated? <laughs> I think he's doing okay. I think he probably is, but I just want to lift him up. Uh, it was released <laughs> yeah. in 1982 to very negative reviews. It was described as instant junk and a wretched excess. It was proposed as the most hated film of all time by film Don't magazine. Give me a break. Cine, Cine Fantastique. Uh, yeah, the film magazine is not around anymore. Reviews mm -hmm. praised uh, the special effects achievements, then criticized their visual repulsiveness, while others focused on poor characterization. The film earned a measly $19.6 million during its theatrical run. Many reasons have been cited for that failure to impress audiences, among them competition from such films as E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which offered an optimistic take on Alien Invasion. <laughs> if you put the two aliens side by side, <laughs> that's, no like, that, that's like comparing ketchup to, I don't know. Shit. <laughs> but, yeah. It found an audience when released on home video and television. And in the years since, it's been reappraised as one of the best science fiction and horror films ever made. A yeah, remake what leads to Go a ahead. remake was announced just this year. A remake? When when did you read that? Because there was a remake like a few years ago. No, the remake was announced in 2020. Oh well, there was okay because there was definitely a remake in like 2015 or so. I saw it. I didn't see that, but if the remake does not have Kurt Russell in it. I wish it ill. <laughs> you wish it ill? <laughs> All the hardworking people on this yeah. film. <laughs> it's interesting when, this is not the only movie I've heard of this happening to. I can't think of off the top of my head what others are, but there's definitely a few movies like this where it comes out, it gets shit on relentlessly at, at release, and then later, like decades later, it's, yeah. everyone does a 180 on it. I wonder what leads That's to that. That's how The Shining was. The Shining was shat on, shat upon when it was released. And then people, but people always did that with Stanley Kubrick's movies. They shat on them when they were in theaters and then they wised up later. Yeah. It has to be because people don't get or appreciate the depth of the character because they're so distracted with it's just a shitty horror film. Right. I don't know. That's just a guess. Now, my, my final note here on the thing, we have a reappearance from our old friend Toby Hooper, writer and director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Toby Hooper was originally slated to direct and co-write the film The Thing before John Carpenter was attached. Hooper's version would have been drastically different from the Carpenter version and featured an alien that didn't shapeshift and didn't assimilate <laughs> uh, and instead followed an Ahab-like character named The Captain who goes on a quest to find and kill The Thing. A quest. It would have served as both a sequel and a remake to the 1951 film uh, with a little influence from John W. Campbell Jr.'s novella. Hooper also wanted to make the film a dark horror comedy with slapstick humor. And the producer was, so, was allegedly appalled uh, by this version and fired Hooper. <laughs> appalled. Appalled. <laughs> well, okay, so the only horror-esque comedy, or sorry, the only comedy-esque horror film in the top 10 would be Scream, right? I think that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm looking at this list and the only one that I think has a yuck in it some yucks is would be scream yeah the rest are really straightforward yeah uh yeah so that's it those are the 10 best horror films according to louise blaine of uh games radar yes of course yeah who i always agree with and so run through that top 10 best horror films again that number 10 Do was it. 28 days later number nine was scream number eight alien number seven was jaws number six halloween number five the exorcist number four hereditary which is now on the top of my list to see. 
Number three, The Thing. Number two, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And number one, again, in our hearts and our minds, always The Shining. I have two follow up questions. Mm-hmm. Number one, where was Human Centipede 3 on this list? <laughs> Low. It can't be a credible list without it. My second question is, why have you still not seen the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep? I don't know. I, I don't have a good it's excuse. It's a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I know. I don't have a good excuse other than the fact that I know it's over two hours long and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I'm just trying to find some time to carve out. Although, I noticed today my HBO Now app on Apple TV has changed. It is now HBO Max. I, I thought HBO Max was something completely separate. Oh, I didn't so realize I, that either. I guess this is a PSA out there to anyone who was previously paying for HBO Now. You now uh, have uh, HBO Max. Let HBO pay for this kind of plug, Brandon. Two things to note. One is uh, it might be where I go to for Dr. Sleep. <laughs> okay. And the other is it has 30 seasons of Looney Tunes. Oh, that's big. Uh, so, what a gift to discover yes, what a gift for <laughs> HBO <thing>. Max. <laughs> you know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned Dr. Sleep being over two hours and that being a detriment, despite the fact that The Shining is one of, if not your favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. And the direct sequel to it, you can't be brought to watch because of the length. And I'm saying that to say, I agree with you. Movie length is a big detriment to me too. And I'm sick of this trend in movies today. I can't remember the last movie that came out that was not over two hours or pretty close. Yeah. More is not always better. I took uh, my seven-year-old, I think he was then six, to see Avengers Endgame in the theater. And he loves the Avengers. And he was shocked at how long we spent in the theater. Uh, several times he kept looking at me and saying like, is this it? Is this it? <laughs> and I've asked them again since like, hey, do you want to, you know, it's on Disney Plus and, you know, during quarantine, we've run through a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows. And I've said, you know, do you want to watch uh, this Avengers movie again? And he looked at the amount of time, he looked at how long it was and he said, no way. He said, I can't do it. <laughs> a seven-year-old. Uh-huh. Seven-year-old's got nothing but time. Yeah, not, Too much. not according to it. him. It's very precious. Yeah, well, much like the Avengers, I think we might be going a little long on this episode now. So, let's wrap it up. We got to put a pin in it. You know, I actually, so because of this show's format, I didn't know Brandon's list until he told me about an hour and a half ago. My plan was to do a horror-esque list next week. So, oh, I, might, sorry. I might change course on that. That's fine. So, I'll just save it for later. Why don't you do it anyway? Well, I like to keep things varied. We'll, we'll do it, uh, we'll call it Spooky Summer. <laughs> spooky Summer. Okay, so for the next 12 weeks, it's nothing but horror episodes? No, we're just going to do two and then forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome to Spooky Summer. Yeah, welcome to Spooky Summer. What happened to Spooky Summer? What happens in Spooky Summer stays in Spooky Summer. Um, So, yeah, we'll be back next week. It's the big episode 90. It's got to be something good, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I got to think about that. In the meantime, make sure you're following our asses on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tennis Pod. And by the way, we would love for you to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We'll read your reviews on the show. And like I said at the top of the show, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at tennispod.com slash newsletter. Brandon's editorial column, which he has already written. It's great. 
He's probably going to send it to me anytime for me to read it because he's done it in advance and he's not going to wait till the last minute to send it to me. It's a Pulitzer winner. Brandon, you should probably go let your puppy out. Yeah. Before he does something disgusting in this room. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks. Thanks.